same old story here in Great Britain, where work does not guarantee a route out of poverty. Here in Scotland, where one million people can't afford adequate housing, where 800,000 are too poor to enjoy a normal life, where a quarter of a million aren't properly fed. Here in Edinburgh, where 22% of children live in poverty, in some places a third of kids below the poverty line, where one in five households live in incomes considered poor. But I don't want to be a statistic. I am a human and I want to make the most of my life. I'm not alone. I have dreams. I could live in Sight Hill. I could live in Stockbridge. I could live in Leith. I could live in Morningside. I could live in your street. We have dreams. I'm a pensioner with no expenditure. I'm a graduate from university and Edinburgh's losing side of inequality. I'm a mother raising her children after he ran out on me. I'm hard to judge and hard to generalise. I'm not dishevelled and just want to be humanised. I don't use drugs. I want to fix broken Britain. I want to help society and not be stigmatised, along with 64% of all British families who receive some kind of benefit and put up with the myths about three generations of welfare state spongers, which don't really exist. Please separate fact from fiction. A culture of worklessness has not been handed down. We just don't have enough money, pure and simple for the now, to buy food, pay rent, stay warm, survive, as reforms slowly cut our remaining lifelines. It's hard to find work under these circumstances when ill health and disability decrease our chances of making those dreams come true and answers to prayers for friends who understand our disasters. But hope glimmers and gleams like the angels when people take to heart the example of the Saviour who met the needs of a stranger expecting nothing back, only showing love to an isolated woman. And now I no longer feel like a prisoner in my home. Someone gave me worth when they decided to show that they cared for me, that they understood my pain, they listened to my story and helped me to gain confidence again. And get away from seclusion, provided food for my family, engaged me in conversation. This is to me what it means to be a Christian. To meet the eyes of the needy with an encouraging smile. The question, what is wrong, to go the extra mile. Now I have a name, an identity, a reason, to hold my head up high as a pinnacle of creation. Now I have a name, an identity, a reason, to hold my head up high as a pinnacle of creation. Amen. That was uh, written by Murray, who led us in worship, read by Jody. And every name you saw there are real people. You see there's a couple of female one, female twos, because we didn't want to put their names. But they're real people we've helped this year, you've helped this year, as part of Destiny Church Edinburgh. As a church, we fully agree with Jesus. And one of the mega agendas of Jesus' life and ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has And then he lists the miracles and he talks about all the great things he's going to do. But right in there in the core of it, he says, he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And therefore, one of the agendas of Jesus is the poor. And therefore, one of the agendas of this church, because Jesus lives in us, is the poor. And whether that be the poor among us or whether that be the poor in our city, Jesus Christ loves them. So do we. So that's what we're going to be looking at in the book of Acts today. Let's pray and God will speak to us. Father, thank you that you're among us. Thank you for your incredible, radical love for us, God. Thank you for every one of those names on the board we just saw. Each one represents someone created in your image, 
who you love, who Jesus, you died for and rose again. And I pray, God, for them and also for us, God, that we would know the love of God. I pray just now as we take time in your word, the Bible, I pray that you would speak to us. God, you know everyone in this room, God. You know where they're at with you. I pray for those who are far from you just now that you would draw them close. I pray for each one of us, you would impart to us in a fresh way your heart for those in most need in our culture and society. And if we find ourselves in need, I pray that we would find you to be our provider and your people to be our providers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome to church. Crazy weather, but well done for making it. I'm soaked. The drum, it's like the drum kit's getting soaked as I speak. But anyway, I hope it's not dripping out there. It's certainly dripping over here. Um, I grew up in Glasgow, and every Sunday, my parents took me to church. The church I was in had lovely people in it, but it was very small. And to be honest, they really kept themselves to themselves. They didn't really engage with the society. They didn't really do much to help alleviate some of the problems in our culture. And there was many, but they just kind of, they did their thing every Sunday, week after week, in the four walls of the building. But when we come to the book of Acts, like we have been over the last few weeks, uh, we've been discovering that God's idea of church is entirely different. So let me just give you a quick summary of some of the mega growth moments in the book of Acts. Acts 2.41, 3,000 were added to the number that day. Acts 2.47, the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Acts 4, verse 4, the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Acts chapter 5, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to the number. Acts 6, The word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase. Acts 9, the church throughout Galilee, Judea and Samaria increased in numbers. Acts 13, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Acts 16, the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. Acts 19, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. You know, so right through Acts, you've got growth and increase and Uh, deepening and it's just an incredible incredible picture the bible gives us in the book of acts but what you find as you go through the book of acts there are many things that triggered the growth sometimes it would be a miracle that happened and the crowds gathered other times it would be a a, a kind of missionary endeavor and the crowds gathered as well it was it is an incredible trigger point right through the book of acts but today in acts chapter 6 there's a trigger point that's got nothing to do with a miracle and it's got nothing to do with uh, a missionary initiative. It's got everything to do with how people cared for the poor. Do me a favor, pass me my jacket, would you? You're going to deal with it, Grim. You're going to catch them or something? No, Tim, give it. I was just going to put my jacket under the drips because that will stop. Graham's going to stop the drips. How's he going to do that? I think he's fighting the drips. Can anyone hear that from down there? Is it really distracting you like it's distracting me? No, you're so riveted. (laughs) That's that's great. Uh Oh, the stewards are coming to deal with it as well. (laughs) Wow. I mean, how do you do that? If you get a leaky tap, you just turn it in. But if if God's raining, I mean, how do you turn off that? (laughs) Some guy, Graham. That's amazing. Let's hear it for Graham. Well, I think, I think Graham ceased to exist, but well, at least the drip has stopped. 
Well, he re oh well, he, he was great. He was a great guy. He was a great <laughs> husband to Kat. We really admired Graham. But oh well, let's get on with the message. Um, so right through Acts, you see there were trigger points. There was mission, there was miracles, growth happens. But here in Acts chapter 6, you discover there was no mission, there was no sudden miracle, and yet there was growth. And the growth happened here because of two factors. They cared for the poor and they mobilized the believers. And the growth happens. And actually that's one of the things, two of the things that we've been doing as a church and we have been seeing growth. Let's go into Acts 6. Acts 6 verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So right here you find that the widows were a big deal in the early church. And right through the Bible, you, you follow the theme of widows and you discover that God's heart has always been for widows, for people who are themselves without their own security of a husband's. Uh, God, who is the ultimate father and ultimate husband, comes alongside and gives support. And he certainly does that through his people. And here you find that in the early church. Here was the early church. And notice here, some people say, well, the book of Acts, that was a perfect church. I wish church was like the day right back 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts. But here you have the perfect church having problems. Say problems. Now, we're also a perfect church and we don't have problems. So we can't relate to this. I mean, isn't that cool? So right back in the book of Acts, I'm encouraged that they also had problems in the book of Acts. And here you have, they were trying to distribute food to the widows. They were trying to do everything they could to care for the widows. But for some reason, the distribution wasn't happening the way it should have. Now, widows were such a big deal, especially in that day and age, because if you lost your husband, you literally lost your security. It's the same in India today. In India, the tribal widows, if they lose their husbands, many of them actually don't survive. They have no benefits or, or help from the government. They had no husbands providing them with security. And many of the women in that day and age, and also in India, were completely uneducated. So they had no means of kind of rising themselves out of poverty. But here you have the issue wasn't just the widows. The issue was that the church was trying to care for widows. But in this situation, one group of widows was being slightly neglected. The Hellenistic Jewish widows and the Hebraic Jewish widows were not being neglected. Now, the Hellenistic Jewish widows, that's Greek-speaking widows. They were typically from out of town. And then the Hebraic-speaking, that's the Hebrew-speaking or Aramaic-speaking widows, they were residents of Jerusalem. But for some reason, the residents of Jerusalem were being cared for better than those from out of town. There's two problems here. First problem was inequality. Now, we don't know if there was a deliberate inequality, i.e. racism, that somehow or another the Hebrews looked down on the Greeks. There might have been a bit of that, to be honest. I don't know if that was going on. There was a cultural difference. That, okay, but it might have been undeliberate, you know, naive. They might have just, because of the busyness of everything, they might have just neglected people. That might have happened as well. But either way, that was one of the problems. Another problem here was, it's a secondary problem, but it is a problem, was they were complaining. Listen, it says that they were complaining that their widows were being neglected. That's kind of putting it lightly. In the Greek language, it literally translates, they were murmuring. They were murmuring. New Living Translation puts it this way. 
They were rumblings of discontent. Now, who were they murmuring to? Well, were they murmuring to the apostles or were they murmuring about the apostles? Hmm, big difference. Murmuring about the apostles, we have a problem. Murmuring to the apostles, we can work towards a solution. You ever been in an argument where you're arguing over an issue, then all of a sudden, the issue is no longer the issue, the issue is the way you're arguing. Right? No, me neither, okay? <clears throat> but some people do that, right? You get into this argument, and then you find that actually it's no longer about the issue you're discussing, it's about the way you're now interacting over it. And here's the issue in churches. Sometimes, I mean, there are problems in churches. That happens because you have people. And the best leaders, like you have in the book of Acts here, and we're certainly not as good as them, the best leaders make mistakes, so what chance do we have? So there are always going to be issues in churches. There will always be people overlooked, never intentional, hopefully, but it happens. And in that moment, you will see that, and in that moment, you have a right to complain in an appropriate way, as do I, and we can raise the issues and tackle the problems. But if we raise it in a wrong way, and if before we realize it, a little glitch in our heart has become a bitterness, and we've gone from talking to the leaders or talking towards a solution to all of a sudden talking about the leaders, and, and we've, the problem has become a different problem. We now have murmuring and complaining in our hands, and that was dangerous. It says in Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And it says, there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. This was a multicultural church. We're a very multicultural church. We talk, they're talking about the Hellenistic and the Hebraic widows. I mean, we don't just have two cultures. Sammy did a countdown in, Leith, they've got, in, in the Leith location. They've got 32 nationalities. My guess, Gorgie's so much bigger We've got between 30 and 40 nationalities here. I love that. I love that we're international church. I love that we're socially diverse. I love that we have many people who would be in poverty. And I love that we have many people who would be in wealth. I love that you worship together. I love that you learn, are learning to love each other. I love a church like that. And, and yet, there is bound to be frictions in a church like that. And if we can walk in unity, God commands blessing. If we can keep looking past stuff, if we can keep the issues being the real issues, not letting ourselves become murmurous, then we can walk in unity, we can find solutions to problems, and God's blessing can flow. Now, the, here's the problem going on here. Did you know it's hard to show compassion when you have a preconception? You know, the things that happened in Paris two weeks ago, that is horrendous. But do you know what one of the fallouts from that is? My concern is that we now brand refugees as terrorists. That we don't trust somehow refugees as if they're somehow worse than any other human being who's ever lived. Truth is this, the majority of the refugees are fleeing from a war zone. And if you were in a war zone, if I was in a war zone, we'd be doing exactly the same. Now I understand there's gotta be controls. I'm not making any political points at all. It's never my agenda. My agenda is very simply to say we must care for all people and especially those who have come from very vulnerable situations. So we have preconceptions. Oh, refugee equals terrorist. That's a dangerous preconception, and it limits our zeal to help whatever the political things that need to be put in place. And then you have people who are unemployed claiming benefits. Maybe some of you are claiming benefits. We have a city full of many people who are unemployed and claiming benefits. And 
so often the reaction is, well, you need to get a job. But sometimes that's not the solution. Sometimes that's not possible. It's not black and white. You have other situations where you have people complaining. And a lot of the, sometimes the media fuels this stuff. The Daily Mail and the Sun, which I don't read, uh, often their headlines fuel people's prejudices against people saying, oh, benefits, cheats, taking advantage of the system, all this stuff. Eastern Europeans stealing our benefits. Sure, I'm sure it happens. I'm sure British people also do that. Human beings do that. But I also know there are many, many Eastern Europeans, you're just awesome people and I love having you in this church. And you're not here to scrounge you here. You actually add to the UK. Right? So it's not black and white. People are people, there are problems, and we must show compassion to all people. Here's the realities in Edinburgh. One in five households in Edinburgh live on low incomes. And yet, the overall average of the income in Edinburgh is higher than, most, than the rest of Scotland. In other words, the rich-poor divide in Edinburgh is huge. 30% of households in deprived areas cannot afford basic items required for an adequate standard of living in Edinburgh. 30% of households. 50,000 families in Edinburgh are living in poverty. 50,000. In a population of under 500,000. 6,216 people relied on food banks last year in Edinburgh. Two out of three families in poverty are in work. So it's not like you're in poverty because you're not working. Two-thirds of those who are in poverty have jobs. It's not like go get a job. They have jobs. It's just that they're, they're, they are not able to sustain a living on their income. And the truth is this. The areas around Gorgie, Leith, and North, where we've currently got our three locations, represent some of the highest levels of deprivation and need in our city. And God has placed us in these areas. So what's the church been doing? There's a table at the back, and I want to just encourage you to go to the tables. There's a social action table. Also, in your bulletin sheets, there's information about the things we're doing as a church. And if you're interested in any of these or signing up, use the welcome cards in your seat. Talk to someone at the desk. Let us know you're interested. But we're running things like Coffee Stop, Friday Food Stop, Destiny Angels, Destiny Street Impact, Hamper Appeal. Here's some of the quotes from some of the... Let's hear it for Graham. How did you go, did you sneak around behind me? Was he doing that? Glad that no one noticed and we won't make any fuss about it. Here's some quotes from people who have been helped by you folks. Life before I came to Coffee Stop was a struggle. Every day I had no friends, no foods and no social life. I don't feel like a foreigner when I come along to Coffee Stop. Beautiful, isn't it? Before I came to Coffee Stop, I felt very isolated. I only did necessary trips out. These are all different quotes. Since coming to Coffee Stop, my confidence has grown, and now I'm helping others in a similar way. Before coming to Destiny Angels Coffee Stop, 40-year-old Lindsay felt lonely, isolated, and depressed ever since the loss of her stillborn daughter, the mum had experienced high levels of anxiety and pressure and the pressures of a teenage son and her husband's redundancy left her feeling like she couldn't cope. Having no friends or family close by made, only made matters worse. 
Her husband thankfully returned to work, but a low income meant that the family struggled to get by. She was on the verge of going to see her doctor and ask for antidepressants when she decided to seek help from Destiny Angels. And ever since her visit to the coffee stop, her life has been transformed. Now, as a well, sorry, now, as well as receiving very welcome food parcels, Lindsay has a reason to leave her house each week. She has a community of friends that she can share her problems or laugh with. Her confidence has grown to such an extent that she is now helping the volunteers with the Destiny's Food Bank. Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> Susan, 38 years old, she said, I was referred through my neighborhood support system because I was alone and depressed after my husband took my little boy. After just three weeks, I felt more relaxed and I felt my spirits being lifted. Susan's now come to faith and is part of this church. Annette George, 62 years old, said, I lost my husband of 40 years last year and in my grief, I cut myself off from everyone. Since coming here, though I've found that there's so much support and I have so much great fun. It, has been, it is the best part of my week. Annette is currently going through Alpha. I've been living in homeless accommodation and I don't know how I would have coped without Destiny Angels. The support has been phenomenal. Here's another one. If I hadn't been referred to Destiny Angels, I would have still been a prisoner in my own home. I believed that there was a God, but I didn't realize that he was concerned about me, said another person. Friday food stop is great. It has been a lifesaver. Without a doubt, I would have starved without it. Friday food stop is brilliant. And without it, I wouldn't have eaten on many occasions, said another person. If I couldn't have come to Friday food stop, I would have had to rob to get food. I need this help to provide for my daughter. Now, Jude sent me quotes from different people who have interacted with Friday Food Stop, with Coffee Stop, uh, with our you know, various drop-in centers, with Destiny Angels as we go out and decorate people's houses or provide food hampers, with Destiny Street Impact Team as we're going out several times a week with the homeless. These are just the tip of the iceberg of some of the stories I could have shared. It's incredible what you folks are doing to bless some of the most vulnerable people. And you know what? I don't want us to be a church where just we have this, we have official teams that care for people in need, like tick, we care for the poor. I don't want to just do that with official teams. I want every member of Destiny Church Edinburgh to have a heart that beats for people who are in need. I want every single one of you to feel that. Absolutely. I want that to be your heartbeat. I want that to be my heartbeat. So that she will do the official thing. She will have the things in place. She will try as an organization to do organizational things to meet the needs. But how awesome is it and will it be as everyone captures God's heart for poor people and makes a difference in the lives of individuals? Stories you'll never read about. Not that we ever get official funding for, but you as an individual, me as an individual, we take responsibility for needs our neighborhoods, our families, our friends, people we just come across in the street. When people inter interact with a member of this church in one of these three locations, they will find the love of Jesus Christ flowing through us, provision being made, kind words being shared, and fellowship being experienced. 
That's what we want this church to be like. Why do we care for people outhouse, people who don't know God? Why do we care for people who, who have no Christian faith at all? Well, the Bible says that we've been created in the image of God, and therefore every human being has dignity, value, and worth. Why do we care for people who are believers in the church? Well, they also have been created in the image of God. But let me just read you an incredible verse from Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 7, 37 to 40, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. In other words, we love people who don't know God because they're created in the image of God. But we love people who do know God because in loving them, we are loving Jesus. When you provide for someone, so yeah, we, we care for the city, but we also care for each other. As you have provided for people in this church, you've done it to Jesus. When you've gone out your way, when you've paid their rent because they couldn't pay it, you paid Jesus' rent. When you've visited them when they weren't well, you did that to Jesus. When you spoke a kind word to someone who was downcast in this family of believers, you did it to Jesus. So let's not just do the outhouse stuff real goods. Let's do the in-house stuff real goods. When's the last time you met someone's need in this community? Look around, look at the people around you. These are your family. Some of them are from different nationalities. Some are entirely different ages and stages. This is your family. And God's calling for every single one of you. And for me, is that we care for the family of God. And in blessing the family, we're blessing Jesus. And let me just say at this point, if you have a need, or if you're aware of people who are in need, here's how we tackle needs. First of all, small groups. I urge you, small groups, take on the needs in your small groups. And I know you do. I hear countless stories of when people are not well, it's the small group who visits them. Or when people are moving house, it's a small group who helps them move house. Or when people are going through a hard time, it's a small group who all chip in and provide something for them. Love it. Let's do that. Also, the pastoral team is available. If you need pastoral support or you know someone who's going through something, all the pastors across Gorgie, Leith, and North, we all meet every Tuesday morning between 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, every Tuesday without fail, and we discuss how people are doing and see how we can support people better. If you have a need, bear in mind we have that meeting every Tuesday, put it on our radar, and we will do what we can, whether it be through small group or directly from the pastoral team to meet the need. If you know people who are in need and you think they're not in a small group and it's not relevant for the pastoral team, get them in touch with Destiny Angels. That's not just there to care for needs in the city. It's also there to care for the needs in the community of believers. Verse two. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Why were they saying it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God? I think they were saying that because some people were suggesting that they should. I think, they, I think some of the people were suggesting when you're the apostles, you make sure this is done better. My guess is that's what some people were saying. You know, it, certainly the church I grew up in, and maybe 
some of the other more traditional churches in the city, they have this kind of model where, and it, traditionally in, in the Church of Scotland, for example, or in the Catholic Church, you have the dude at the front with the dog collar or the, and the frock, right? And they're expected to do everything. You know, if I'm not well, they'll visit me. If it's my wedding, they'll do my wedding, they'll, they'll christen my kids, they'll do my funeral, and all these other benefits. They'll, they'll do everything for me. If I'll, they have this huge expectation on this one person who's the paid professional. I, I went back a, a year and a half ago to visit the former pastor of the church that I grew up in. Great guy, I love him to bits. And he's now in a care home, he's not keeping too well, and he's way over uh, Erskine Bridge direction. So I went over to see him, and I had an afternoon with him. And as I was chatting to him, he said to me, and this, this absolutely saddened me, he said that, do you know what? There's only one or two people from the church. This is years later. Only one or two people from the church have ever come to see me. Isn't that sad? And yet he was the guy always visiting people in the hospital, always doing things for other people. And here's, here's the point I'm trying to make, is if you have a model where the dudes at the front is the professional and they do everything for everyone, here's what happens. First of all, it doesn't develop maturity in the body of Christ. It stops you folks from doing the ministry. The Bible says that God's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. God's calling on your life. You're the professionals. Our job is to equip you to do ministry. And it's not that the ministry won't happen from the people at the top. It's that the people at the top are called by God to empower all of God's people to care and to mobilize God's people to care. And sadly, what happened in the church I grew up in, everyone experienced care from the professional. And then when it came to the point where they needed the support, none of them had learned to give support. They'd only learned to receive support. Church, be Christ-like. Be like Jesus. Let the spirit of Christ in you motivate you to meet needs. Now, here's the truth. If the apostles had served the tables in this situation, we wouldn't be meeting today. Fact. The whole movement would have locked down because they would have moved out of their gifting zone where the flow was and it would have shut down the entire movement. So was this arrogance by the apostles saying it's not right for us to wait on tables? Absolutely not. They fully remembered how Jesus washed their feet. They remembered how Jesus taught them servant-hearted leadership. But this was not arrogance. They just knew that serving means different things at different stages. In the early stages, they were the ones doing the distribution of foods. They were. But now it's God's requirement on them to be the preachers and to be the spearhead leaders to take the movement forward. I remember when, when the church got started, uh, me and Ange, we, uh, it was kind of the Pete and Angie show. We, we moved out of our living room, uh, the church moved out of our living room, and we moved it into a little primary school. And I remember in those early days, I'd be at the door to welcome people. And so I was the steward, and then Angie would be in there, and she would have a kettle boiled, and she'd give them a cup of coffee when they came in. So she was the welcome and the catering team. And then we, once everyone gathered, uh, we kicked off the worship, and I was leading the worship. Things were that bad. And so I, I was leading the worship, and then having led the worship, I handed on to the preacher, which was me, and I preached. And then after the preach, me and Ange were the ministry team. We prayed for people. And then we were through the week with the pastors, and we were the evangelists, handing out the invitations and sharing the gospel. And we were the pastoral follow-uppers. And, you know, we were the accountants. All right. It was the Pete and Angie show. 
And I was incredibly grateful the day that someone walked in who could play the guitar, even if they could play three chords. I didn't care. <laughs> Thank you, praise the Lord. You lead us now. Thank you very much. I think everyone else was relieved as well, to be honest. Um, but what's interesting, if you look in this, it says it's not right for us to give up to serve tables, it says. The word serve there is a Greek word. Uh, it's linked to the Greek word dia. Di, 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 uh, okay, the word serving in the Greek language. Anyway, in verse 4, it also reappears that same Greek words, and the same Greek words is translated there. It's not right for us that we will give ourselves to the ministry of the word. Ministry of the word is the same word, service of the word. Same word in the Greek language. Dia something. Servant. In other words, whether they're serving tables or whether they're preaching the words, as far as they were concerned, it was all serving. 1 Peter 4.10 says this. God has given to each of you, say each of you. God has given to each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So the truth is this, the way we serve best, it's okay at the start just to do everything. It's okay at the start just to get your sleeves rolled up, see a need, meet a need. But there comes a point as the church is growing that what God is calling us to be is specialists. Not that we ignore things and say, oh, I'm above that now, but that we, as best we can, we make our serving look like our gifting. And the more we can get in the flow of the areas of our gifting, the greater the blessing of God will flow, like we see in this Acts church. Let's go on in the verses, verses three to four. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven, goods, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry, which means serving, ministry of the word. Now notice it says, select for yourselves. Select from among yourselves. In the New King James Version, it translates it, seek out from among you. In the Greek language, there's a word which infers you should seek out the people. The point is this. You don't create leaders by choosing them. You seek out those who God has already chosen. That's very different. There has been a culture, again, some churches where you vote in and you say, okay, this person becomes this person, whether there's a natural gifting on them or not. But what you see in the early church is they were required to seek out people who were already flowing in certain things. This is how leaders are chosen. God creates leaders. God raises up leaders, and we just simply recognize them. And notice it says, these leaders are going to be full of the Holy Spirit. Do you know, you don't just have to be full of the Holy Spirit to do miracles. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit to care practically for poor people. In fact, you should be full of the Holy Spirit to do your day job. Be full of the Holy Spirit to look after your family. Be full of the Holy Spirit when you go into the shops. We should be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting here is, here is one of the qualifications for the, I think these were deacons. And he said, they've got to be full of the Holy Spirit. But we know that the church at this point was thousands of people. Most probably, most of them were baptized with the Holy Spirit already. So why is he saying, look for those who are full of the Holy Spirit? Because, wait a minute, they all are. What's the point? The point is this, that you can be technically full of the Holy Spirit, but it's a memory. It's not a current 
radical, you're on the cutting edge, full of the Holy Spirit. A chapter or so ago, it says Peter standing up in front of the Sanhedrin, it says in, I think it's Acts 4, it says, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, said to them. It wasn't, that, it wasn't saying that he remembers that at one point he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says he was currently flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to urge us to be a people who don't just have a historic memory of, oh yeah, that's when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But when have you been refilled with the Holy Spirit? When have you heard him last for someone else? When's the last time you prayed for someone who's sick? When's the last time you moved in a gift of the Holy Spirit? Stir yourself to let the Holy Spirit work through you currently. It's interesting, Stephen and Philip, who became one of these uh, seven, two of these seven, went on to not only distribute food to the poor, they went on to see great miracles and fantastic things happen through their ministry. Why? Because they were full of the Holy Spirit. And it also says they were full of wisdom. Wisdom is God's gift to solve problems. Back in the Old Testament, you have Joseph. When he arrived in Egypt, there he was, and God gave him wisdom to distribute food to the poor to the degree that literally millions were saved from starvation through God-given wisdom to a man. Isn't that amazing? And what, what we, see, we see Alan Berry in Leith uh, way back in 1980-something. Alan Berry was the pastor of South Leith Baptist. And he started having homeless people hanging around his church. So he starts taking them in. Before he knows it, he buys one of the houses in Castle Bank Street. Next thing you know, this organization called Bethany Christian Trust is birthed. How did that happen? Well, it was a God-given wisdom to solve a problem. And it's making a huge impact today. You have people like John Kirkby, who had this God-given wisdom to solve a problem of debt. So Christians Against Poverty was birthed. God gives wisdom to solve problems. And that's what they were saying here. Look for people full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. And the truth is, is the, the initiatives that we run with here in Edinburgh, they are, have been, come from God-given wisdoms to solve certain problems. And the fruit is there as a result. So let, let me just read to you some of the, the results of some of the initiatives that we've got going on as a church. First of all, Destiny Angels. This is since January, all these statistics, since the beginning of this year. Destiny Angels has distributed 1,328 food parcels to people in need in our city. And we refurbished ten people, sorry, seven people's homes this year. Coffee Stop and Food Stop, since the beginning of this year, has had over 60 women who have connected in the Gorgie and Leith coffee shops. 353 people have been supported through Friday Food Stop in the warehouse that we've got down in Leith. Many people have come to faith, been baptized, and are now in turn serving in some of these areas, helping people who are also in need. We've got 10 people currently going through Alpha who have come to the church through Coffee Stop. Isn't that fantastic? We've just been given funding to launch two new coffee stops, one in North, our new location, and one also for men. And that's funding for two years to get some of these other initiatives off the ground. 615 hampers is the target this year. Uh, we are well on the way. I got some feedback from Jody this morning. It looks like we're nearly two-thirds of the way there. Thank you, everyone, who's made that happen. We'll make it. Thank you, everyone, for making it happen. If you haven't yet given a hamper yet or 10, think about it. 
this will, 615 hampers will provide for 1,283 people, individual people. That's how many people will be helped through this year's hampers appeal. Destiny Street Impact, since January, they've had 24 team members. They've had 213 conversations with homeless people about Jesus. Not just provided them with food, but 213 conversations about Jesus. They've prayed for 60 homeless people since January. And two people on the streets have decided to follow Jesus. English classes. We launched an English class and had 15 students in it this year. We ran Lifeline in Stockton Prison. We have some of our church members there. We have a small group in prison. Just kidding. (coughs) Not. There are, but anyway. So it's great to have fellowship with them still. Um, we, we ran this course specifically for women in prison and it was, the course was entitled Living with a Dominator. One of the prison guards commented on how the ladies who were coming along, uh, how it lifted their self-esteem, changed their perspective in life and gave them great confidence. Last year, we gave away 18% of our entire church income. That was £105,000 given away. Half of it went to church planting and to missions. Half of it has gone to providing needs, meeting needs internationally and locally through the hardship fund where we provide money to people in the church going through hard times or whether it be through our orphanage in India internationally and everywhere in between. That is the church we are. That is the fruit you have been birthing. So I encourage you, be, be this, every one of you be this. If you are able to give time over and above just being this as a person, get involved with one of these great teams. If you're in a small group, why not as a small group decide, you know what, two times in the year we're going to refurbish a house with Destiny Angels. You know, it might not be you do it every week, but maybe you just kind of come alongside those teams, maybe a couple or a few times in the year, just so that you don't lose your cutting edge with these things that count, because it also stirs something good in us. Verse 5, it says, The statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicor, Timon, friend of Pumbaa, Parmenes, Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch. What's interesting here is all these names, they were Greek people. These were all Greek-originated names. That tells me that the solution to the problem came from the people who had been complaining. From the group of people who had the complaint, out came the solution. And oftentimes, greatest opportunities, greatest advances happen as a result of some of the toughest problems you've gone through. Times when I've learned to be a better husband has come through challenges. Times where I've learned to become a better dad has come through challenges. You don't learn that stuff through the easy times. Becoming a better church leader has come through going through hard times in church leadership. And the church, as a church, some of our greatest ideas have come out of some of the problems we faced. And that was what was the situation here. Someone once said that there are four main bones in every organization. The wish bones, wishing that someone else would do something about the problem. The jaw bones, doing all the talking and very little else. The knuckle bones, those who just knock everything. The backbones, those who carry the weight and work hard. And that's exactly what these seven were. They were from the group of people who brought the complaint and they were saying, no, no, we're going to be part of the solution. Verse seven says, and the word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
Notice here the church isn't just growing numerically. It's growing in quantity, but it's also growing in quality. It doesn't just say they grew in numbers. It says the number of disciples continue to increase. What's a disciple? Disciple means a follower, a learner, someone who doesn't just vaguely made a decision, oh, I'm going to become a vague follower of Jesus, but someone who actively follows Jesus with their life. Those people were increasing. Don't just be a convert, someone who at one point in your past made a decision to follow Jesus. Be currently following Jesus with all your heart, in public and in private. Be a disciple. The church wasn't just growing bigger. The church was growing deeper. And it's interesting, these seven men that we've just listed, these seven people who became the first deacons in the church, they went deeper. You go on to the next few chapters, chapter seven, chapter eight, you see that Stephen and Philip, it kind of follows their journey. Man, they went deep with the Lord. They started seeing miracles. They started, how did they start stepping out? You know, you, you grow when you're given responsibility. You don't grow by sitting in your seat and just learning stuff. You grow by taking responsibility. You grow by getting your sleeves rolled up. You grow by being a disciple, not just learning what it's like to be a disciple. So if you're uninvolved, get involved in ministry. If you're unconnected and you just turn up, go beyond that. God has more for you. It's not just that will benefit us, not just that will benefit the city, that will benefit you. You will grow as a disciple as you take on responsibility. Listen to what it says, Ephesians 6, sorry, 4 verse 16. He, that's Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part, say each part. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The Bible makes it clear here. You want to see the church grow? It's when everyone does their part. When not just a few people are mobilized, but when every person is mobilized into whatever it is, the church grows. There was a story of a wealthy nobleman in a village in a European city a number of years ago. And this wealthy nobleman wanted to leave a legacy after he, after he died to the village because he loved this village. And he decided that he would build the village a church building. They constructed this building. It was phenomenal. And the day came for the opening of the building. And for the first time, the villagers could see the, this beautiful, magnificent church that had been made and gifted to the village. People walked in and they were amazed at the architecture. They loved what they saw. But then one of the observant villagers pointed out, where are we going to get light from? Because there's no lamps. And the wealthy nobleman pointed to the hooks on the wall. And then he went to the back and he gave to every one of the village families, every single family got a lamp. And he said to them, when you turn up, you bring your own light and you hang your lamps. And if you're not there, where you sit will be in darkness. And here's the point. God wants this church to be mobilized. If you're not playing your part, there's an area of darkness. We're missing out on what God has got. You bring a unique contribution to this church. I want you to flow in who God's made you to be. I understand there might be things to complain about. I understand there might be things that you feel neglected. But I know that God has placed you here and maybe you're the one to bring the solutions to the problems that you see. 
God has called you to be part of this local church, not just to attend, but to play your part, to let your light shine, to flow in your gift, to be a blessing to others around you, as well as to be blessed. So does your serving really count? Yes, yes, yes. Whether it be in a social action way, with helping with the poor, or whether it be setting out things on a Sunday. Listen, do, do me a favor. Say thank you to people who serve on a Sunday. Today, go and say thank you. The Bible says that as we all serve, what happens? The body grows. That's what the verse says. Last year, in the last 12 months, we have grown as a church 11%. Our Sunday attendance has grown by 11%. 100 people, by the end of this year, 100 people who have completed are according to the pattern course, as a membership course. That's this year. This year, because of 2020 vision, we have released more people in serving in the church than we've ever released in our entire 17-year history. As we've gone on this journey to start new locations, there have been more preachers, more worship leaders, more kids workers, more social action initiatives. Everything has multiplied. And what's that resulted in? Many have grown. Not just, we haven't just grown numerically. You have grown deeper as that weight has been put on you. And you have grown in the gifting that God has placed in your life. And that thrills my soul. It is so exciting. So I want to say thank you. See, when you pick up your kids, thank the kids' workers. Thank you for looking after my little rascal for an hour. I want you to say thank you, okay? Say thank you to them. You know, I want you to, see, at the end of the, I want you to go and hug the sound guy. No one hugs sound guys. I want you to hug the sound guy and say, thank you. You're a sound man. <laughs> I want you to say thank you to the catering team when they serve you that coffee. Give them a kiss. If you want. Stewards, you're amazing. You know, all these practical areas of service, I want you to show appreciation. Don't just take them for granted. Don't just go to them with your complaints. You forgot to move that chair. No. Move the chair yourself and go say thank you. <laughs> thank you all the small group leaders. Every week you hoover your living room. You get your biscuits out, your Pringles out, your nachos out. You... Prepare and you pray for all those people to come around to your house. You do a Bible study for them. When they're sick, you go visit them. Small group leaders, we appreciate you. Show appreciation to these folks. And here's what it says. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Interesting. Interesting. A great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That's an interesting little sub point at the end here. You know, when you love the poor, it gives credibility in the city. We had one of our church members at a party recently, and they got into conversation with someone who works in the social work department in Edinburgh Council. And the person said to the member of the church, I, I'm not a churchy person, this, per, this social worker said. I'm not a churchy person. In fact, I don't know if even if I believe in God. But if I were to go to church, I'd go to a church like Destiny Church because I love what they do for the city. Isn't that amazing? And I don't even know if they knew that they went to Destiny Church. How cool is that? Barna did research in Scotland, and in 2014, they discovered that 69% of adults in Scotland view the church as a favorable thing in the community. Charles Colson said this, our presence, our presence in the place of need is more powerful than a thousand sermons. Can you imagine? It says a whole number of priests became obedient. This is not as a result of a miracle. This is not as a result of some missionary endeavor. This is as a result of doing what we're doing. Caring for the poor, 
and mobilizing God's people. Imagine a priest. Imagine you were a Jewish priest. Imagine what it would be like to come to faith. You're involved in the sacrificial system. Every day, you take animals, you kill the animal, you shed the blood of the animal so that the sins of the people of Israel could be forgiven. You know every day sin is serious. You know every day that for sin to be forgiven, an animal must die. And now you've become a believer in Jesus. As it says in Romans, you suddenly understand Hebrews 10 verse 10. We have become made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. These Jewish priests, it's like a penny dropped. They suddenly realized that no longer do we need to sacrifice animals for the sins of the people. That Jesus Christ has died once for all people so that you can be forgiven. You can have a new life, an eternal life. These priests, they'd been in the temple. They knew that when Jesus died on the cross, they knew in that very moment the veil of the temple had been torn in two, signifying that no longer was there a barrier between you and the presence of God because of through Jesus, you can enter the very presence of God. And I, I just want to end on this note. Maybe you're here today and you don't yet know God. The truth is this, God knows you and he doesn't want you to live one more day on planet earth not knowing him. The problem is you're a sinner. But the solution is God Jesus, in his love, died to take away your sin. And he rose again. No one's ever died for you before, let alone God. God died to take away your sin. He rose again on the third day. He's alive right now. And you can be completely forgiven, have a whole new and eternal life. Today, put your faith in Jesus and become a follower of Jesus Christ. Start on this journey of being a disciple of Jesus, the great Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, God, for this example in the book of Acts where a complaining moment in the church, in this wonderful church in Acts, this church that had been doing so many great things, they have a murmur, they have a complaint. But in the midst of this complaint, something good happens. New leaders are released and the poor are helped. God, I want to say thank you, God, for this church. God, thank you that we're a church full of people who care for this city. And who also care for the needs in-house. God, I want to thank you for everyone, every small group who's, when people are suffering in their small group, they go out of their way, they go over and above to serve those needs, to visit them in hospital, to provide for them financially, to visit them, to make them, to help them, to encourage them. God, I thank you so much, Father God, for a church that cares for the people outside the church, provides food hampers, provides places where people can come and find friendship in the midst of a life that they found isolating. God, bless this church. God, as we have sown, so let us reap, I pray. I pray for abundant blessing. I pray for those who are on those teams, for those who go out every week with the homeless. God, I pray as they go out every week with the homeless, I pray that they would just know the peace of God in their lives this Christmas, that they would know you to be their shelter and their refuge. God, we pray and our heart aches for those in this city, God, whether they're refugees or asylum seekers or whether through tragedy in life they've ended up on drugs or homeless, trying to bury the pain. I just ask God, let the love of God in this people shine forth and let multitudes and multitudes of people come to know God and also be lifted out of poverty. God, we pray that in Jesus' name. 
Lord, I pray for anyone here today, God, who doesn't yet know you. I pray, God, that today that you would give them the courage to make the biggest decision of their lives. To become not just vague believers in Jesus, but to become authentic followers of Jesus. I pray that you would draw them to yourself in your love just now. If that's you today and you're here and you're not yet connected with God and you know it. I'm not asking you to become religious. I'm asking you today, why not become an authentic follower of Jesus? The one who is the Lord of everything. The one who died for you on the cross and rose again. Will you put your faith in him today? If that's you and you want to put your faith in him, then let me help you do that. Just where you are. Pray this prayer with me under your breath. And let this be your moment where you connect with him. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your incredible love for me. Jesus, thank you your love motivated you to die on a cross to take away my sin thank you you rose again on the third day thank you you're alive right now please come into my life I don't want to live another day without you God forgive me for all my sin Jesus I make a decision that from now on I'm going to be a follower of yours. Risen Jesus, be Lord of my life today. Thanks for hearing my prayer. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to pray for you, just wherever you are. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to pray for you. In order to know who I'm praying for, can I just ask you very simply just to raise your hand just wherever you're sitting. If you prayed that prayer, if that's a decision you made, pop your hand up, then put it down again and I'll pray. Put it up nice and clear so I can see it. It's the biggest decision of your life ever. I'll wait. I'll just wait. Is there anyone like that today? He's saying today, Peter, today I choose to follow Jesus. Go for it.